When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Gotta Watch the Tape here in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast feed. Doug Lamarice and Scott Patsko. Scott, it's been a while since we had some of our funky Gotta Watch the Tape music. And frankly, today is actually more like not Gotta Feel the Emotions. Although we do have emotions about the trade of Carson Wentz from the Indianapolis Colts to the Washington Commanders. But it's really more (laughs) conflicted emotions, uncertain emotions, stinking Ellis, like uh, I told you so emotions. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should win the Carson Wentz bet because at least Baker Mayfield is still a Cleveland Brown. Carson Wentz given up on by the Indianapolis Colts. But really here today, we are going to – it's more like got to crunch the numbers – Right, because we're doing some roster building stuff about the Browns heading into free agency that I am super excited about because I really like this stuff. And Scott, we always intended this podcast. Some of it is film, some of it is numbers. We're just going hard on the numbers today. And I got to tell you, it's going to be hard for me to keep up. So, can you maybe try to explain (laughs) what we're doing here? You're clearly taking the lead with the smart guy stuff. What's the plan for this episode? Right. So we talk a lot about like what the Browns need and free agency in the draft, but there's also the issue of what positions they might value more. Um, And that I think can kind of inform us on how they might go about targeting players and free agency in the draft. Um, So basically positional value is what we're talking about because the Browns are like an analytically driven team uh, and positional value is an analytically driven idea. And now it's, it's one of those things analytics folks use to make a lot of people mad though. Sure, some of this will make you mad. That tends to happen on this podcast sometimes. But this is where the idea that running backs don't matter came from, positional value. The argument that maybe teams should think about paying cornerbacks more than they pay edge rushers because coverage has more value than pass rush. So I'm not going to get into that debate, but that's basically the kind of things that that are kind of tied into positional value. So, you know, when you're when you're trying to build your roster and you're thinking about where do we want to spend the most money, where should we spend the most money based on how these positions are going to impact winning and losing. So, so the thing that's, that's, basically it. that's going to be great about this podcast is we're going to get a baseline of like how the league thinks and you follow the money because money tells you what people, what teams, what executives think. And then mm-hmm. we're going to go into what the Browns think and right, Scott, we're going to be able to draw some conclusions about where the Browns follow league trends, where they buck lead trends. And this is a topic that I'm super interested in because again, sometimes you want to be smarter than everybody and take your own path. And sometimes I think you can outsmart yourself. And if it's like, this is how everybody's winning, maybe you should try to win that way too. So we'll start off with the idea of wins above replacement. This is a, a, and PFF is giving us some baseline numbers here. Let's make sure as we go along here, we explain what some of these nuanced stats mean, and then we'll get into the money aspect that follows. Right. So a few years ago, uh, PFF came up with their version of wins above replacement or war. 
Um, and it's something you probably heard for like first associated with baseball. Uh, basically, the idea is to measure how much a team would be re- negatively affected if a player was lost. And then the team had to find a replacement basically off the street or the, you know, the free agency heap of players that nobody else wanted. So, and PFF noted that they're kind of trending or treading new ground here because really war is like universally accepted in baseball. It's something that everybody knows about who's a baseball fan and who kind of understands and it's, it's used a lot, but not so much in football. So uh, there are a couple different places that have tried to put together uh, wins above replacement for football, but PFF is the most uh, accessible, even though it's not something that they uh, make available on their website, they have written about it and they have made available their ranking. So it's kind of based off their grading. And if you don't like PFF grading, well, then this podcast probably is going to make you mad, but it basically focuses on how positive or negative performance impacts scoring, or in other words, winning because you got to score to win. So that's the basis for PFF's wins above replacement uh, rankings or charter, however you want to describe it. So what they did um, with the uh, version that I have is they ranked the football positions by war a couple of years ago, using the top 10 players at each position. So their rankings, and, and I'll go through them. I'll start, I'll kind of go through a few at a time here. Look like number one on wins above replacement for football is kicker. quarterback. Oh, it's not, no, it's not kicker. It's quarterback. Well, in the playoffs, it might be kicker, right? In the playoffs, it's kicker. <laughs> We're still going to get to kicker. For the uh, Bengals, it might be kicker. I do. It's I just, just want to interrupt. We're looking at this list. I, you sent me the list, Scott. No yeah. kicker on here. So I'm, I'm, yes, they did not the do special already. teamers necessarily. I, okay. yeah, they, I noticed that too. And I know we're all about kicker this off season, but we'll have to put that topic aside okay. for now and just focus on the, uh, you know, the, the starting 11 on both sides of the ball. Um, but anyways, quarterback is number one and that shouldn't be a shock to anyone. Uh, the Q the quarterback's war average is more than twice that of any other position. It's actually so, three and a half times any yeah. other position. Like it is, yeah. it is a huge drop off. And Scott, I guess if I was going to say, well, of course, quarterback's going to be the most valuable on here, that it is more than three times any other position. Does that sound like too big of a gap between quarterback and everything else? Or does that seem to fit the idea that you can't win it without a great quarterback and the pursuit of a great quarterback? is where NFL roster building starts and stops. I mean, while I'm not ready to say that quarterback wins and losses are a stat, I do agree that they have the biggest impact on winning and losing. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that that's, that that's the case. And as we're going to find out here over the next few, that there's kind of a pattern here. Um, and, and, and it'll make more sense that the quarterback's at the top because number two is wide receiver. Well, and I will say this, you said at the top, this is based on PFF based this off the 10 best position players at every position. Is that correct? Yes. 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 Cause I think that is true. I think great quarterback play is three and a half times more valuable. It's like, Oh, the, do the top 10. All right. Well, so yeah. this is a couple, couple of years ago. It's okay. Do Aaron Rodgers? do Tom Brady, do Patrick Mahomes, do those guys. And it, that's true. Then when you get into like the middle 10, Mm-hmm. then it's probably a little less true. And then when you get into the bottom 10, it's probably more true again of like, if you have a terrible quarterback, you're probably dead. So I do yeah. think in that middle 10, well, you know, quarterback is important, but that's where you're trying to make up for above average quarterback play by being great elsewhere. Then I think that war gap would shrink, but 
the true greats at the most important position. I think that's where three and a half times more valuable makes sense. True. But then again, when you get into that middle group of quarterbacks, those are not the teams going deep in the playoffs. True. Right. So um, unless anyways, you have Jimmy uh, Garoppolo, unless you have Jimmy Garoppolo with Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa, then you're fine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so wide receivers, number two, safety is three and cornerback is four. So QB wide receiver, safety cornerback. So right there, the top four positions all center around the passing game for the most part, this is hopefully like something that's going to make sense to people, especially when you realize how the league's been dominated by the passing game over the last decade, you know, notwithstanding the current Browns, the top 10 seasons for average passing yards per game have all happened since 2011. So it stands to reasons that PFF's grading, which again, fuels their data here, would have positions that are most directly involved in the passing game ranked at the top. So does that make sense to you though? That there's one positions th- tied to the passing game or this are the top four. There's one position here, not in the top four that I'm very surprised by. And I'm curious to discuss that, but mm-hmm. that the guys covering the receivers and the receivers are this high. That does not surprise me. This reinforces the conversation we're all having about the Browns this offseason, which is you've got to get receivers. You're behind. You're behind. It's not just sizzle. Jamar Chase is not just sizzle. Devontae Adams is not just sizzle. Mike Evans is not just sizzle. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams in San Diego and Tyreek Hill in Kansas City, they are not just sizzle. They're stake there. That's real ways of winning. And the Browns do not have those guys. Again, maybe they thought they did with OBJ and Jarvis Landry going into last year. It turns out they did not. They have to get them. And so again, this reinforces when we talk about the 13th pick in the draft, when we talk about free agency, which is right around the corner and cap room and money that you're willing to throw at guys, Scott, throwing draft capital and money at the receiver position this offseason is not sizzle at stake. It's the second most important position by this metric, and the Browns are way behind the rest of the league, at least the rest of the winning teams when it comes to that area, right? Well, it's the Browns aren't like – we know by now the Browns are not built the same way or they don't have the same – they're not going about doing things the same way as everybody else. We know that. But if you look at the wide receiver production, which I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more later, but the wide receiver production this past year and in 2020, there was a huge difference. And Baker Mayfield's performance has a lot to do with that, obviously. Um, but even though they don't use receivers as much as everybody else, there has to be efficiency there. So to get that, perhaps, yes, you, you need to throw assets at that position to know that, okay, we're not going to throw these dudes that much, but when we do, they need to perform. Are, are you surprised that receivers are second on this PFF war list? <sighs> No, I don't. I, I mean, when I first came across this and it was, it was a couple of years ago when it came out um, that I first came across this, I was surprised that other positions weren't higher just based on the way the NFL operates, which again, I'll, this next grouping of four, I think we're going to get to the one you wanted to talk about most. So, um, but you know, you go through this and then you realize, all right, yeah, the passing game is such a big deal right now and it's evolving and becoming what really fuels offense in the NFL now that, yeah, those first four positions, they start to make a lot of sense. I am a little surprised that, I guess maybe I'm not surprised. I guess if, if we should have, if we would have done this ahead of time, say, hey, 
put the positions in order. We all would have put quarterback one. I might have put cornerback ahead of receiver, though. And I don't, I guess that would have been wrong. Yeah. I mean, they're close, though. I mean, they are. All right. On with the countdown. On with the uh, countdown. <laughs> number five is tight end, which I guess can still be considered part of the passing game to a large extent. Uh, number six, interior offensive line. Shout out to Joel Petonio and Wyatt Teller. I almost feel uh, like on behalf of Kevin Stefanski, should we pour out a little bit for the tight ends being as high as fifth? I feel bad. It's like, hey, Harrison Bryant is really important. That's why they just you know, tag David and Joku. They're fifth. I, uh, I'm driving around. I don't listen to a lot of sports talk radio, but I just happened to be listening to it uh, this week when the Njoku extension or uh, franchise tag happened. And there were a lot of people talking about how little he produced uh, as a pass catcher, just how we had tight ends that don't produce, but we're paying them a lot of money. That was basically the argument. And number one, I just kept shouting into the ether that, you know, tight ends do more than they catch the ball. But number two, the Browns value tight ends a little more than most people. And I think if you look at things from an analytics perspective, this, you know, kind of backs up perhaps the way they, they view tight ends. You didn't call in. You didn't call in and say, I'm Scott Patsko, sports writer. I have views on this tight end opinion. Not the day I I do that. By the way, you know you're allowed to listen to Orange and Brown talk in your car. You don't have to just put on the radio. I can. I know. We got a. I listen. I listen to you people every day. I I don't need to add any more of that. You don't like. I mean, I listen. I love listening to myself coming out of the car radio. Why doesn't that surprise me? (laughs) What that melodic podcast voice? Seriously, that is. I'm going to tweet out that quote. I love listening to myself. (laughs) Oh man, you're starting to sound like my wife right now. Okay. So the tight ends are pouring one out for the tight ends are fifth. Who was sixth? Uh, interior offensive line. Seven offensive tackle. Okay. So, but that, so this is paying guards ahead of paying tackles. The Browns have revolutionized yeah. paying your guards. And they're right. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I remember when I first came across this, I, I didn't, like tackles being below guards and centers. Um, I haven't found a rationalization for that yet, but whatever. <laughs> But then we get to number eight, and that's edge rusher. And that's probably a lot lower than most people would have expected, especially when you consider how popular those players are, how high they're drafted. Yes. Not to mention how much they're paid, which we'll get to. But yes. um, I think to explain this low ranking, I would just ask you to remember the Browns beating the Steelers in back-to-back weeks in 2020 and how Baker Mayfield had his fastest release time of the season by far in those games. He was only under pressure 28% of the time in week 17. And then the next week in the wildcard game, he was only under pressure 14% of the time. They got the ball away quick that helped negate the Steelers pass rush. The Steelers themselves like make Ben Roethlisberger almost untouchable the last few years. And it's not because they had a great offensive line or because he's you know super elusive. It's because he got the ball out so quick. Most teams aren't like that though. They want to throw farther downfield, which takes more time, but you know, you get the idea. The offenses can do things to slow down a pass rush or at least slow down a great pass rusher. We've seen teams do that to Miles Garrett. So I think that plays into the impact of edge rusher and why it's it's so low here. But would we also possibly think this is a slight flaw in this system, that for PFF to have it this low, no group of numbers is perfect when the Browns and analytically driven teams 
are doing things like this, they look at all kinds of different numbers and they decide, well, where are these numbers telling us something smart? Where are these numbers maybe telling us something that doesn't? And now again, you can get in in trouble there, picking and choosing like, oh, wow, okay. You know, you believe the numbers to value receivers because they're second. And then you ignore the numbers and say, I still love edge rushers because they were seventh, right? I mean, you can get in trouble picking and choosing, but I do think you want a large set of values so you can merge them together and come up with something. And my non-analytical mind would say, "Mm, not to pick and choose, but this does seem a little low to me because I think there's value, even in the idea of, especially if you're playing a quarterback who does like to throw it downfield. Mm -hmm. And so you make him get it out quicker and maybe he's still productive in a certain way, but he can't use his deep weapons as much and whatever even if you're not getting sacks, you're not getting tackles for loss, you're not getting hurries, there might be something in there of value that wouldn't be reflected in something like this. Sure. And and again, it's not like the Browns are sitting down with, you know, this particular uh, ranking and, and working off that. I don't know if you, you remember the ESPN story from, I don't know, four years ago, maybe when Sashi Brown was, I don't know if he's still there or it was during the transition, but it kind of uncovered a lot of the, yeah, the the chaos going on behind the scenes, and one of the things that came out of that was a photo of Brown's guardrails. It was this this sheet that kind of had a bunch of mission statements on how to address things uh, within the franchise, everything from salary cap to key positions to just how they want to go about getting talent and acquiring talent. But under key positions on this Brown's guardrails, it was quarterback, cornerback, pass rushers, and offensive tackle. Those are Four that they saw. And again, this is something that had a Paul DePodesta quote at the very top. It was obviously created for the franchise um, when both Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta were here earlier. So yeah. they, they could still kind of feel that way. Offensive tackle is another one that was listed uh, keep uh, key position. So again, yeah, they, they, I mean, they have a whole analytics department and it's one of the bigger ones in the league, just going off what we know about staffing around the league. So I'm sure they have people on this kind of thing coming up with their own value system based on their own experience. Um, So perhaps edge rusher is higher, but it's worth noting that Andrew Barry is not drafted an edge rusher in his two years here so far. So yeah, I guess we'll, we'll find out more. The longer he's here, the more data we get and you know, the more we kind of figure out what he, what he truly does value. You know, Scott, can we tell the people this is in a tweet, uh, which is just one of the easy places to find it. Can we tell people in case or just if people want to have this? Because I do think yeah. it's like if I can see Scott Pasco with a big folder, you know, maybe <laughs> nice red and green and blue and you have the tabs on top and you sort things out. You would print yes. this out and put this in your folder along with the guardrail sheet, along with some yeah. other things to help try to inform the Browns thinking in case people want to print this out, where can they get it? It's yeah. Well, the, I sent you the tweet, but it is also on PFF site uh, okay. on the free section of their site. If you just Google PFF positional value, it'll take you right to, okay. I think the first thing they wrote, they've written about it since then. Um, and there are other stories where it happens, but if PFF war positional value and you will find um, the list we're kind of working off here. And they also go into uh, more explanation on, you know, how they, how they came up with it and their own insight on what they think, what they think it means. Okay. So, All right. So edge rushers are seventh, eighth, eighth. 
one, two, yeah. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, eighth. Okay. Yeah. And so there's three groups below edge rushers. Yeah. Bottom three. Ninth is linebacker. Tenth is running back. And that really boils down to how the passing game is more efficient and better at gaining more yards on a consistent basis than the run game. Again, the Browns offense, notwithstanding. <laughs> Any way you want to measure it, though, like average for play, EPA, doesn't matter. Passing is more efficient than running football. And then 11th in last place, interior defensive line. I think the bottom three kind of makes sense. Although I know there are a lot of people who say what Nick Chubb, right. <laughs> he is not near the bottom of anything, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the bottom three makes sense to me. And I think the bottom three are reflected in the Browns thinking because clearly, I think, I think clearly the two position groups where they have not been that worried are defensive tackle and linebacker. And listen, they took JOK, but JOK is like kind of not exactly a linebacker. And I think you're almost better off trying. I think you've said this. He's like almost, you almost think about him like as a safety. And you do have at least, you need to have at least one guy who can tackle guys in space, right? So JOK was drafted because of his coverage ability. Like that is his big selling point, not because he's a middle linebacker, run stuffer. Something like that. And then you would say, well, then why do they have the running backs to have as well? Because John Dorsey drafted Nick Chubb and John Dorsey signed Kareem Hunt and left them for Andrew Barry. And if somebody leaves you those presents, you're not going to throw them away. But I'm not sure when those presents get a little old and need replacing, I'm not sure Andrew Barry is going to replace them the same way. So I think at the moment we are seeing an exception based on the circumstance, which again is part of being smart. You adapt to the circumstance. Andrew Barry didn't get here and cut Nick Chubb, but I think the Browns value of positions would match up with these bottom three. And which leads us to, are they really going to draft a defensive tackle in the second round? Like they felt like they didn't have enough guys there, but are they really going to, or are they going to draft a position of more value? I, you see mocks. I saw a mock today. Todd McShay's mock today. As we record this on Wednesday for the Thursday pod, had them taking Devonte Wyatt at yes. no 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 had them taking Jordan Davis had them taking yeah, one of the Georgia Davis guys at seventeen yeah. one of the defensive tackles and that was based off I'm in on four guys officially now Garrett Wilson and Drake London at receiver and Jermaine Johnson and Trayvon Walker at rush end uh, all four of them were gone before thirteen in Todd McShay's mock draft which didn't make me feel great but he took Jordan Davis for them at seventeen like I don't think that's happening. I don't think no matter how special Jordan Davis is, I would just be very surprised to see the Browns. Am I saying 17? I mean, 13, of course, to see the Browns take a defensive tackle at 13. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, I I did. I kind of did a roundup post on, on mock drafts and wide receiver is still by far more, more, most popular spot. And it was before the combine, but now after the combine, you're seeing more defensive linemen pop up. And again, like you said, it's not just edge rusher. It's, it's, the middle of the of the defensive line so but we disagree do we dis- do we officially disagree with that or no or I, did you see it and I, I think i don't believe andrew barry wants to put a lot of assets into the interior defensive line so it could make sense drafting somebody there because you don't want to spend more money in free agency so if you get guys on a cost effective salary no matter where you draft them, perhaps that makes more sense to him. Um, you already have two guys there right now, and Jordan Elliott and Tommy, Tommy Togiai, the only two guys under contract uh, at defensive tackle, or at least who will be under contract once the new year league year begins. 
um, and they're both on rookie contracts. So it's very low pay for that position right now. And perhaps that's something he'd like to keep that way. And if you take a swing at one of those Georgia guys up high, maybe you, maybe you hit, maybe you get the next uh, Aaron Donald, you know, maybe you get the next guy who uh, takes your defensive line to the, to, to another level and you get them cheap. And let me go back again. It is Devontae Wyatt. Todd McShay has the Browns, not that Todd McShay is the end all be all, but that's what we're referencing. Todd McShay has the Browns taking Devontae Wyatt at 13 ahead of Jordan Davis, who he has going 17. So those are the two Browns defensive tackles. Again, Ashley and Dan in their initial mock drafts had Devontae Wyatt going to the Browns in the second round. There's no way he's going to be there in the second round. But I do think I also may be misinterpreting something here, Scott. There's a difference between draft capital and salary cap value. And to take a defensive tackle who you then can maybe get a lot of production from at a, on a reasonable rookie contract. And then in free agency, you go and spend big money on the positions that are higher on the list. I think there's a way that you could look at this and you could say, Oh, defensive tackle it's last. And that would be exactly what you just said, which is that makes Andrew Barry say, yeah, it's last. Let's get somebody who's good and cheap. Cause I don't want to spend money on that position, but I'll spend the 13th pick if I think I'm going to get banged for the buck. And then I don't have to go chase it because, you know, you got Malik McDowell for cheap. You got Malik Jackson for pretty cheap. They're running guys through there and you're not getting a ton of production from it. I actually, there is a way, right. That you almost spin the idea on its head that draft capital actually can be a great way to save money. Right. Right. So uh, yeah, I'm going to, and I want to go over uh, salary real quick here because um, and compare it to those war rankings we just did. Okay. Because if you take the top 10 highest paid players at each position, the rankings by position would look like this. Quarterback, obviously, still be number one. Edge rusher would be number two. Mm. Wide receivers, three. Okay. And then interior defensive line. So two of those spots, edge rusher and interior defensive line, are nowhere near the top in the war rankings. But they are positions that are drafted high and that teams pay a lot of money for so there's like a disconnect between what analytics might say about their impact is versus how they're treated by the league. That's interesting. And that would lead me to believe that Andrew Barry will never pay big money for a defensive tackle free agent. Right. The right guys there in the draft and you're piecing it together the right way, but he's trying to sign Denzel Ward He's trying to find an edge rusher to come in here. He wants to spend money on John Johnson, the third at safety. He's, he's not going to spend it on a defensive tackle. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. So okay. spots four through eight tack offensive tackle, cornerback linebacker and interior offensive line is, is, is actually eighth. And that's a spot where the Browns will actually lead the league in salary wise beginning in 2023. Okay. Interesting. Interior offensive line, again, which is eighth in salary, is sixth in war. So you would say, shorthand, interior offensive linemen might be underpaid. So the Browns Mm -hmm. paying for guys they know and trust and believe to be elite players actually is trying to maybe fill a market inefficiency that will go ahead and pay guys there in a way that other teams won't because we Mm -hmm. think they're undervalued. Also, why you don't draft a guard or a center super high because you will end up paying that rookie almost as much as the average of the top paid guards and centers in the league, right? Right off the bat. So then the bottom three positions are safety, running back, and last is tight end. 
which again, the Browns are currently ranked second in salary wise. Okay. That we got to talk about. Okay. Cause we're trying to figure out where, how the Browns fit into this league trend. And that does right. not, that worries me. That doubles down on my current ideas about the Browns and tight ends. We'll get into more of this next. I'm fascinated. on got to watch the tape. Doug Maurice back with Scott Pasco. Scott doing all the work. Me coming along to complain and gripe and shout. <laughs> so let's go more into this, Scott. Right. You said it. We're, we'll go through how the Browns pay their position groups compared to league rankings of paying their position groups. And then we can talk a little more about where the Browns match up and don't match up, but we're definitely going to talk about tight end. So go ahead. Right. So again, we're going to look at uh, Brown's positional spending, how it matches up with how the league ranks those. So for 2022, and that's kind of what we're going off of here, uh, quarterback, the Browns are 10th. That's with Baker on a fifth year option for 2022. You know, obviously, and that's because they're paying because as you as you've said here, because Case Keenum's the highest paid backup in the league. That's a chunk of that then, right? Yeah, yeah, because he is technically under contract for 2022. So that could go down um a little bit, which I mean, putting putting Baker, putting your quarterback salary wise in roughly the middle of the league, that probably about sounds about right for the uh production or the consistency they've gotten out of that position. So and because on the fifth year option, he's getting a bump. There's enough young quarterbacks in the league in the beginning right. of their rookie deals that it's just the, the quarterback thing is like you're underpaid. If you're good, you're underpaid for like three or four years. Yeah. Then you maybe are in the middle for like a year or two. And then if you get your contract, then you're probably overpaid because who's really worth $40 million a year, but that's what it takes. Right. So right. The, the quarterback Actual salaries compared to value is hard to do because there's such a wide range and a lot of the guys are on the ends. Yeah. I mean, in, in so many ways, quarterback is just an outlier and kind of off by itself, you know, yeah. whether it's this or how they're scouted, just everything. Um, the edge though, uh, edge rushers, the Browns are 14th. Miles Garrett's salary jumps from 12.9 million in 2022 to 29.1 million in 2023. So this ranking is going to rise maybe even this year because this does not include Clowney who's going off the books. Um, obviously McKinley, they don't have really much other than Miles Garrett making yeah. money. At, at, they don't have a lot of bodies there right now. So uh, I think a lot of people looked at Miles Garrett's contract extension and thought maybe they'd be among the league leaders, but they're really not. They're kind of middle of the pack um, when it comes to edge, which Probably a good thing when you look at how much money that position as a group makes league-wise. But it is is one of those, again, we've talked about this a lot, this winning window for the Browns, where it's not, doesn't mean it's going away, but the difference between Miles Garrett taking up 13 million on your cap and 29 million on your cap, that's a lot of, that's some freedom to do some other stuff. So this is a year still where they've got a little bit of freedom, but 29 million, he's worth it. But then that's going to create some more difficult decisions elsewhere on the roster in 23. Right, right. right. So wide receiver is 21st. And this still has Landry on the book. So I'm not sure how much it'll change if they swap him out for a free agent. But it's a long way from the top 10 ranking they had last year when OBJ and Landry were uh, on the roster together. Um, This is one where I think this offseason is really going to inform us what Andrew Berry thinks about the value of wide receivers because he inherited both 
OBJ and Landry. I mean, the rest, he's got two sixth round receivers and Anthony Schwartz. It's not like they put a ton of assets into this position yet. Yeah, we'll be curious again. We'll find out about running back down the line. Uh, we are we are going to learn some stuff here. And that's the thing. What we have to remember, and I think the people listening know this, Scott, but when we talk about, oh, the Browns going to go get a big money wide receiver, it, that's just replacing Landry's salary. It's yeah. not really adding. It's just swapping out. And then right. you also do something in the draft. Like they have plenty of money to put into wide receiver that they are 21st right now. And if they go do something, it's going to mean that Jarvis isn't making 16 million. So there's a lot of maneuverability right. here, even to just get them more towards the middle, even to just get them the 14th instead of 21st. That means they can do a lot at that position. Yeah. So defensive interior is 31st, but remember this currently only includes guys under contract. So that's Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togiai. That's it. So they're both on their rookie deals. Um, this is a position that Barry, like we said, hasn't really spent big on over the last two seasons. He got rid of Sheldon Richardson's deal and then signed cheap players like Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, Sheldon Day, et cetera. Yeah, I, I don't see this shooting up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's more likely you get younger guys or he goes the, the the veteran, let's get another year out of him route like Malik Jackson. And if you hit on one of these guys, if Jordan Elliott takes the jump, if Tommy Togiai becomes something, or or if they do draft one of those guys from Georgia, uh, and, and then they hit, well, then you have a, a different scenario uh, to work with. But uh, for right now, it just seems like this position is something that holds a ton of value for Andrew Barry. Yeah, no, I think this continues. I, I think this continues again. It's why a guy like Togiai in the fourth round la- last year mm-hmm. is a smart pick for them because they're trying to hit on something at a cheap price and get a couple good years of production out of a guy barely making anything. And so right. Tommy Togiai could really help the Browns in 2022 because they're just because, again, they didn't make the playoffs last year. It's not because of their defensive tackles. Yeah, right? right. They weren't great against the run at times, but it's it, they didn't. They didn't fall short of expectations and go eight and nine because of their tackles. So they're, they're never going to go get a big guy here unless Aaron Donald wants to be around. Aaron Donald called up Andrew Barry and said, hey, it's always been a dream of mine to hmm. come play. In Cleveland, and Andrew Barry would say, would probably take this list and mail it back to you and tell you to <laughs> cram it in your folder or cram it somewhere else. So that's, again, you have to know when to have the exceptions to the rule. But the rule is don't pay defensive tackles, and that's what the Browns are going to follow. Yeah. So offensive tackle is 19th. They're ranked 19th. Um, it, it helps that you have one of your guys on a rookie deal still. Obviously, they paid a lot for Conklin. Uh, but offensive tackle, remember, ranked fifth league-wide in uh, – as far as uh, average salary of the other top guys. So, but, and they've shown, but they have shown here they'll pay because they targeted yeah. Jack Conklin on the first day of free agency and said, we'll pay what it right. takes two years ago. That was an example that we've got to file away. That was, that was a look at how Andrew Barry thinks. Yeah. And they, I think they paid a decent backup salary to Chris Hubbard as well. Um, once they restructured things, they definitely wanted to make sure they paid enough to keep him here yeah. uh, as a swing tackle that first year, too. So, uh, cornerback 10th. And we assume a Denzel Ward contract extension will shoot that up beginning in 2023. You have a lot of guys like uh, Greg Newsom, obviously, and, and, and Greedy Williams is still on rookie deals. So it's uh, a little cheaper group as of right now, but, uh, but that should change. Okay. And I guess that the goal sense. is to get to a point where that does change. Yeah, they want right? I think they want to pay here, right? They, yeah. It's like, oh, we got to pay Ward and Newsom and Greedy. Cool. Let's pay him. 
We have three good corners that we trust. We'll pay for that. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Linebacker, they're ranked 29th, which sounds about right when you consider all the one-year deals Barry signed at that position. Plus, you have a lot of young players there who are still on rookie deals. Sione Takitaki, uh, Mac Wilson coming into their final years. So uh, that could, I mean, it's still going to be pretty cost-effective there at that position for the foreseeable future. I don't believe they're going to go out and spend big money on somebody to pair with JOK. Um, and you have to believe that JOK is going to be here throughout, you know, here at least at a, to get to a point where he can get an extension. So the next few years seem to be, they're probably going to be low on that list. And it's one of those, remember the BJ Goodson era? That was his name, right? Is that his name? That was his name, right? Yes, that was his name. Say his name. Say his name. Now, I'm not being dismissive. I just actually can't remember. The It's one of those things like Anthony Walker, good dude. Good leader for the Browns. Played pretty well when he was out there. Don't get too attached to guys like that because Andrew Barry, I think, is like shuffling a deck of cards. Find <laughs> me a middle linebacker at a okay salary that I can plug in there and trust to, you know, not be great, but just be solid. I think he thinks he can find those guys pretty easily. And so he's not going to get too attached to anybody. So don't buy a JOK spot. Don't buy middle linebacker jerseys. If you're a Browns fan heads up. And, but you know, he brought like, he brought in uh, Anthony Walker as well as Malcolm Smith. He brought him back and they were both pretty cheap. Yep. So, but maybe we're getting into a, a, a time frame here with Browns linebackers where they don't have to, uh, they, it's not so much quantity over quality. It's going to flip and it'll be JOK and quality over quantity. You won't need as many guys, mm-hmm. as many options as they've, as they've had the last few years. So, uh, all right. Interior offensive line. Uh, I, I had this broken up center. They're fifth. So JC Treader to a much, much lesser extent, Nick Harris, and then guard their 10th. But again, Antonio and Teller will take that group to the top beginning in 2023 because of the extensions that they signed last season. I have this, I've been talking about it for probably six years. Guardapalooza, this series I want to do about guards and the evolution of guards and how often they pull and how important they could be. And this would slide right into that because I've thought about it a lot at Ohio State and the Browns. And like there've been some interesting guard stuff at both positions. And I feel like it's, it's a position that we don't talk about that much, but the positional value here and the Browns investment here, again, I'm going to pick and choose because it's what we do about where I think when the Browns go off the board, when they're smart and when the Browns go off the board, and I think they're trying to out, outsmart themselves. But I think it's quite possible that like doubling down on your good guards, as much as I didn't think they'd pay Wyatt Teller, I didn't have this. You didn't send me this. When I kept saying like, ah, I'm not gonna pay Wyatt Teller. Why don't you send me this mm-hmm. thing? Then I would I would have been able to figure it out. But now, but now it makes sense to me now because it's on the people too. They like Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. The people, the players, they trust them. They know them. But I think they think they found something here too, especially with hey, if Dorsey's gonna give us Hunt and Chubb, let's double down on a guy who can get out in front and lead the way on some of these running plays. So I, I think there there's a lot to this. And when, if Andrew Barry is still around, and he should be, when Joel Batonio is aging out of this lineup, like they yeah. probably will take a guard in the first round, but they just don't need to right now. Yeah, yeah. Or at least spend for, well, I don't know. Well, they, they, they got Teller. Teller was here before Barry, but they got him pretty cheap, obviously. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good, 
that's a good one to watch because I'm not sure how they would go about replacing Batonio when that time comes. Anyways, uh, safety is 18th, um, despite JJ3, who I believe is 17th among safeties and salary for 2022, which, I mean, that's not terribly high. Um, running back is eighth. Uh, remember, running back salaries are ranked 10th out of 11 positions league-wide. Chubb's deal jumps from five, almost $5.5 million to $14.8 million in 2023, and that's the same year Hunt becomes a free agent. So they'll increase the salary and have to figure out what they want to do about Kareem Hunt that year, but they do pay a lot more. Again, following, following the footsteps of the guard salaries, they pay more running backs than most teams do. But, we, but I don't think that is indicative. I think that's an exception. This is a, a circumstantial exception. And I never thought they'd let Nick Chubb get away because Nick Chubb seems to encompass everything you want a Browns football player to be as a player and a person. Humble, go about your work, physical, tough, all those things. But I do think Browns fans have to realize there's going to come a time when the Browns are going to have to look at Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and may come away with a decision about value and age and positional value and replacement level and all those kind of things that may not match up with what fans think. It's not now because both those guys are still in their prime. And I think they're, they're okay paying running backs in their prime who were already here when Andrew Barry took over. I don't think they're going to pay running backs who are on the backside of their prime, no matter how many Nick Chubb jerseys are in the stands. So that's not anyone. Don't get worried about it now. Maybe the Nick Chubb will be wearing a Super Bowl ring by that point. But I'm just saying there's going to be a point, I think, where the rubber hits the road a little bit on where the Browns are with running backs on their roster and where they are with their really true thoughts about the value of that position. Yeah. So last place is tight ends. They're ranked or last one we're going to mention here is tight ends. They're ranked second. And as I pointed out on Twitter this week, even if the Browns cut Cooper, they're still going to be ranked second as of current contracts. Obviously teams are going to add people and and stuff like that. But as far as uh, 2022 Hooper or no Hooper, they would still be ranked second in salary allocated to tight ends. And that's due to the 11 million in dead cap. They'd still be on the books for with Hooper in 2022. So, I mean, the, the Browns don't really line up with the league averages in terms of positional payroll overall, but they're paying a lot more for tight ends, running backs, interior offensive line, and less for edge rushers, defensive tackle, and wide receiver. Those are kind of the, the positions that really kind of stick out when you go through this. So I do not like the pairing of paying a lot for tight ends and not paying much for receivers. That has to change. And I understand the Njoku tag. I'm, I'm not against that. But this has to be a little bit of a blip. I understood the Hooper contract in the moment. I understand the Njoku contract in the moment. I, I do not believe that a long-term philosophy of we're paying our tight ends second in the league and we're paying our receivers in the 20s, I do not think that is a long-term winning philosophy. I don't care how Kevin Stefanski wants to play. This is where outsmarting yourself, going two against the grain, those kind of things come into play for me because – is the production there, Scott? Is the production there? And I know David Njoku is a good blocker, but and I know there's some efficiency there. But like, is the is the true volume, quantity, not just quality, there when you're paying when you're number two in tight end salary? That's that's hard to answer because people are going to point to well, you only had like you know five hundred or four hundred whatever yards 
receiving uh, last year at Nijoku. The Browns, and I know we talk a lot about 13 personnel. The Browns and tight ends are way more than 13 personnel. They have at least two tight ends on the field almost 46% of the time. If you look at all the different possible position, positional groupings, they have them on the field 46% of the time. That uh, I haven't gone through and ranked that against everybody, but that's got to be top five. Um, there are teams that use like 12 personnel more than the Browns or 22 or whatever, but they are right up there near the top in the amount of times they have at least two tight ends on the field. So from that, from that standpoint, they become a little more valuable to you because you believe that that is the pathway to success, having multiple tight ends on the field and running things out of those formations. So change again, your philosophy. So change I, I, the idea that like, well, your philosophy I know. makes it valuable is like, well, then change your philosophy. Because it's like, oh, the Browns are second in the league in tight end salary. It's like, oh, they had George Kittle. No, no, they don't have George Kittle. Oh, they must have Travis Kelsey. He's from Cleveland. They have Travis Kelsey. Nope. How about Mark Andrews? He played with Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. They must have Mark Andrews. They do not. They don't have anywhere close to the second best tight end, but they have the second no. highest tight end salary. I don't like it. But did anybody complain about all this after 2020? No, but I'm gonna, I'm okay with that. So it's like, it's like, oh, well, winning solves everything. And then some people act like, oh, so all you care about is winning. And I guess if they win, then it's, yes, <laughs> then it's fine. Yes. yes. But also there were times when it felt like, well, I just, I don't know if they have enough to get over the top offensively again, because the goal is not to win 10 games and make the playoffs. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. So even in, you know, two seasons ago, I don't know that you'd look at that and be like, boom, yep, that's it. Super Bowl team. Right. So, I mean, they got to. I tweak. I want you know Andrew Barry. I want to see some spending on receivers. And listen, you still got the tight ends. We didn't mm-hmm. think to get rid of Njoku. We're not making you cut Hooper if you don't want to. And you're going to take the cap hit at some point anyway. So it's okay. Just don't make it a decade long philosophy that as well as hey, let me tell you, as long as Kevin Stefanski is the head coach here, we're going to be second tight end salary. Then I'm out. Then I'm out. <laughs> Like it, it, it's, it's become apparent that like their money, whether spending their money doesn't really align with what the league's doing and what, even what like PFF's war rankings are. Right. Cause I mean, we're going to find out, like you said, if, if Barry's willing to spend big money on a free agent wide receiver or make a trade that brings in a big salary. Right. You look at the other, like those top four, again, quarterback, um, wide receiver, safety corner, those top four positions in the war rankings, that are all focused on the passing game, right? They don't have big money invested in the quarterback. Right. Um, JJ three, their big signing last year, they did commit multiple years, but he's in C17th in safety salary. Other guys were on rookie deals. We, again, Baker isn't going to get a mega deal this off season. So like, if you look at those four positions, really Denzel Ward is probably the biggest salary commitment the Browns are going to make in, in those four positions going into this next season. Right. No, that's true. Unless they go find a receiver, but you know, Mike Williams just came off the market. Calvin Ridley's not going to happen. So, I mean, you know, it's, they got to find it. So this, this now I'm officially uh, your numbers have aggravated. I, I, they have confirmed my previous thoughts about the tight end. Cause again, it's like, it's a lot of money second in the league to throw six yard passes to Austin Hooper. All right. I'm going to take a breath and try to calm down a little bit. We'll come back and wrap this up with Scott Patsko on Gotta Watch the Tape.
Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko here on Gotta Watch the Tape. I hope you're a Browns insider. We drop the podcast five days a week. They're all free. Oof, what a value. Take some pressure off, Scott, when they're all free. I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't have to be this good that day. Yeah, it's free. What are you complain about? Although we did get someone on Twitter who was like, oh, we're going to talk about the Steelers all off. Seems like we did one Steelers podcast. Relax. So I'm a little aggravated, but I'm going to try to chill out. But I'm just going to direct people to, to a, be a Browns insider because that's good value. You get all the stories. You get an extra story every day. We call it an egg. It's a little thing somebody writes up and sends only to the subscribers. You get the text messages, which are going to be flying fast and furious during free agency. Get in now. Get in now. And then like bail if you want. That's fine. But just get in and just hang with us on the text and with all the stories that are going to be rolling through at cleveland.com slash Browns once free agency starts in a couple of days. So come hang out. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Blue banner at the top of the page. Click there. Come join us. Scott, how are we wrapping this baby up? Hey, real quick. Uh, I saw the text about uh, somebody upset. We talked about the Steelers on the podcast and I saw your, your reply. I was going to go a totally different way. I was going to ask him to totally make his offseason about worrying about the Steelers, oh, create yeah. a Reddit community, start a Facebook page, and just spend your whole time worrying about the Steelers. I really wanted him to go the other way, but you got to him first, so maybe it's it, for the best. Yeah, Cleveland Browns fans obsessing over the Steelers instead of thinking about their own team slash Reddit would be yes. the thing there. Scott will be there commenting if somebody wants to start that. I'll be there. So the last thing we're going to get to here is just moving forward with free agents, extensions, the draft. It's really hard to figure Andrew Barry out. You know, we think we we thought we knew who he was when he got here based on who he'd worked with and Paul D. Podesta being in the building and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think last year taught us that the Barry, like he wasn't gonna go big on a deal like the parent edge with Garrett. He got Clowney at a nice price. He got McKinley at an affordable price. Like I mentioned, JJ3, um, not breaking the bank on that signing. You got good value there. On the other side of the ball, though, there have been some big deals like Hooper, Conklin, Teller, Batonio, Chubb, the tag on the Joku. Like the Browns now have two tight ends in the top six in salary for 2022. That's why they rank so high. So tight end is the only position out of that group, though, that you'll find in the top five war rankings that we talked about. But even that is typically fifth. There's a couple other versions I found that basically the same to, to what PFF had, but tight end is usually about fifth. So we'll, we'll get more info obviously on how Barry wants to spend in free agency here next week when the new league year begins and free agents can sign or teams can resign their guys. But so far, Barry hasn't really thrown big money at the position seen as having the biggest impact on wins and losses. And some of that is due to a lack of opportunity though, because like we said, he inherited two wide receivers with big contracts. Yep. So he hasn't had to sign one. He inherited a quarterback that has yet to play at a consistent level that would lead to a big contract. He inherited cornerbacks and drafted another on rookie deals. Right. So it remains interesting to me though, that like players like Chubb, Teller, Batonio have gotten extensions before the quarterback and the cornerback that you would think they would want to build around. It's a little different than, than what analytics might say you should be spending your money on first. But as we, I mean, as we know, the Browns, are kind of going their own path here, uh, especially on offense in terms of who they want to throw money at. So, but I did want to get into uh, the draft because last year, the Bengals created a debate about positional value. Yep. Their choice seemed to come down to wide receiver or offensive tackle, right? Jamar chase 
who they drafted fifth overall, or somebody like Penny Sewell, who went two picks later to the Lions? Like, do you get Joe Burrow a weapon or somebody to protect Joe Burrow? So similarly, the Browns this year seem to be faced with a decision of wide receiver or defensive line, at least if you go by the majority of, of mock drafts. So it's, do you help Baker Mayfield or do you help Miles Garrett? You know, do you get somebody to play opposite him? Do you get somebody who can play next to him and make him more dangerous, make the line more dangerous? Like the Bengals went with Chase and the Bengals reached the Super Bowl. <laughs> also, Joe Burrow got sacked 70 times. And it and didn't 25- matter. And it didn't matter. I know. 25% of Burrow's pressures came via the left tackle spot. So, well, I, it probably mattered for a moment in the Super Bowl when, when he went down and people were wondering if he was going to get back up. And it, it, it probably mattered that he got sacked, what, nine times? Was it the divisional round or the championship game? Nine yeah. times, the first time that's ever happened. And that quarterback's team won. How often is that going to happen? I know. It's not. It didn't matter is not the right phrasing there. They right. overcame it. Yes. Because they had somebody to throw to. And they had a pretty good kicker. Yeah. Which we're not talking about today. Back to kicker. <laughs> I would like to see the Browns be first in kicker. Ugh. Trade their first round pick for, I don't know, Harrison Butker or something and sign up to a $20 Just million draft, deal. and Draft seven kickers. Well, they have nine picks, draft nine kickers. Have them all there. What Just, a competition that would be. Because you get, you can never have too many good kickers. You know, they say that about cornerbacks, but you very rarely hear about kickers, but I believe it's true. I can't wait. I want you to drop out on Andrew Baird in his conference. Andrew, they say you can't have too many good kickers. <laughs> Just see if he goes along with it or if he's like, what are you talking about, Scott Batsko? <laughs> he would agree. He'd be nice. Um, but if you look at the war rankings, like this should be a simple decision. You take a wide receiver at 13. They impact winning and losing more than an edge or defensive tackle. If you want to be cost effective, you also take a wide receiver because edge wide receiver and defense of tackle are all cost effective picks in the first round. They're ranked second, third, and fourth among NFL salaries as a group. But as we've shown here, and I know some people don't totally agree with it, but edge and defense of tackle aren't going to impact winning the way a wide receiver does, especially not now the way the NFL works, how big a deal passing offenses are. But we saw last year, like with the Browns, a team that targets wide receivers less than any other team, how poor wide receiver play can really drown an offense. And I know Baker played into that, uh, but wide receivers were like just a low efficiency group last season for the Browns. And the offensive struggled. The year before, wide receivers didn't get targeted much at all then either. They were one of the most efficient groups in the league, and the offense had a lot of success because of it. So, I mean, there are good analytical reasons for why taking a wide receiver is the smart choice in the first round, but we'll have to see what happens. I'm, I'm not here to make predictions. I, I love it. And you are not doing mock drafts because, as you said, you are not here to make predictions. But I am one of us who is doing a mock draft every week. And all this stuff, Scott, this is what I do. I'm just I'm going to steal it. And I'm going to put it straight into my next mock draft because I had them take Garrett Wilson again in my latest mock draft. I didn't have them take another receiver. I think other people, Mary Kay, I think has had them take multiple receivers high in the first three rounds. I think Dan has done it. Uh, I might have them take a receiver in the first round and a receiver in the second round in the next draft, because we're, it's, we're looking at it. This is a, it's the second most important position and it's somewhere where they are not invested right now because they're, they would go even below 21st if they let Jarvis go. So the idea that I've been thinking about it as a pair, a pick, 
and a veteran, a pick and a veteran. Maybe it's a trio, two picks and a veteran. Why not? Have too many. Let the second guy work in a little bit. So I might go Garrett Wilson and George Pickens, or I might go Drake London and Jahan Dotson, or I might go Chris Olave and David Bell. There's a lot of ways you can do it, but you have opened my mind. I thought, hey, these guys aren't valuing receivers enough. They've got to value this. There's actual value here at 13. It makes too much sense. It's not just need, it's value. Because sometimes those are different things. Because they need a defensive tackle, but there might not be value there. Mm-hmm. This is even more than I realized. This is even more. Of course, quarterbacks were first. This is even, I feel great about it. Sometimes I come out of these podcasts grumpy, mad, upset with the world. Today, I'm going to be skipping down the street, Scott, trying to figure out what receiver <laughs> I'm drafting at 13 and at 44 for the Browns. And and plus, it's it's good to remember that I know a lot of people think of the draft and they think, well, they got to get a guy who can help them this year. You're all, you, you're focused on this year, but it's getting a guy who you're going to pay for the next at least four years yep. and making sure that that person isn't uh, you want to be cost effective with who you pick. So, you know, it's thinking about, all right, yeah, we'll get him as a rookie and say he comes in and he's our starter wide receiver, but then we're, you know, we get him for three, four more years. There's a, there's an option year. Um, you know, you could have the best receiver on your team still being on your rookie deal. And that's really, I think, the hope of anybody really with, with any draft pick. One last thing I wanted to mention about Barry's draft picks over the last two drafts. Remember, again, the top four positions with the most impact wins above replacement. Quarterback, wide receiver, safety, corner. He has drafted five players across those four positions. Obviously, no quarterback, but it's three wide receivers. And yes, I'm counting Felton as a wide receiver. Um, two safeties and one cornerback. So that's five spots that impact the passing game. No edge rushers, as I mentioned, uh, drafted by Barry. But of the bottom three positions in war impact, linebacker, running back, defensive tackle, he's drafted five players, three running back, three linebackers, two defensive tackles. So that's five players between linebacker, defensive tackle, which makes sense which kind of goes back to what I mentioned before. If you don't want to spend a lot of money on those spots, you get guys on rookie deals, low cost for a low impact position. Uh, And Hey, if you hit on one, great. If, if JOK is the answer for the next, you know, seven, eight years, great. But you're not, you're not putting as much into those positions overall, especially defensive tackle as as you would be maybe trying to, to sign somebody in free agency. I think when, when you're thinking third round, fourth round, fifth round for the Browns, that's going to be linebacker and defensive tackle land for a long yeah. time to come. And I mean, it's even one of those, like they hit on this is obviously before Barry, they hit on Joe Schobert as the first pick in the fourth round and they still didn't want to pay him. Mm-hmm. Like to want to pay the guy, like you better be one of the five best guys in the league at your position because they probably think otherwise they can let you go get a comp pick or something and then just recycle somebody else in the draft. And you never have to pay that second contract value for linebackers or defensive tackles. Now JOK might be the exception to the rule. Cause he's more like a safety he has coverage grade matters so much. He's so important in the pass game, but average tackles, average linebackers, there may not be a guy who gets a second contract from the Browns as one of those players forever. When Andrew Barry's in charge. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting. The, the most interesting thing is that he hasn't drafted an edge rusher yet. And I'm wondering how much Miles Garrett's contract has to do with that. Do we get another guy in here who can be, who, who you know, you're going to get to a point where 
we'll have to make a decision on a second contract of him. Do we want to have that lined up? Where, where, how do we want that lined up with, with how much we're paying Miles Garrett and when we're paying him? Like I said, his contract jumps up in 2023. So how much money do we want to invest in that position? And, you know, how soon do we, do we want a second contract to, to think about? And I do wonder, while Miles is still making 13 this year, pay another veteran, do the clowny thing, wait somebody out, put him on a one-year deal for seven or eight million. And then next year when he jumps to 29, then draft an edge. Yeah. Now he's at 29. We don't want to pay any more veteran edge guys. We'll take a guy in the draft that we think can play and, you know, pay him whatever the 23rd pick in the draft is going to make. But we like that positional value monetarily. And that's how we'll deal with it. Because again, all these pieces do affect each other which is why, again, we've called this this winning window before some of these contracts jump, before they extend Denzel Ward, you know, before Miles jumps. They're in this window. This kind of at the end. This, this was the five-year window with Baker, the first the rookie contract for the quarterback. So he's not a perfect quarterback, but if he's your guy this year, this would be a heck of a time to win mm-hmm. because they're going to be able to make some moves in free agency now that maybe they won't be able to make in future years because they're just going to have some heavier guys on the cap that they're going to have less, less flexibility to go get veterans. Can you imagine if they had been the team that sent that haul to the Seahawks for, for Russell Wilson, how that would have kind of hamstrung what they've been able to do in the coming, however many years. Yeah. I mean, multiple ones, twos players. That's yeah. But you can see Denver has been drafting receivers and receivers and receivers, KJ Hamler and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and didn't have a quarterback to throw them the ball but they invested in the second most important position. And then they chucked a bunch of picks to go get the most important position. And they don't need to draft receivers. Like they're okay. They'll get by. So, I mean, it is like, it would be much harder for the Browns to do that because it's like, well, you just traded the Garrett Wilson pick. What are you going to do now? Right. The Broncos don't have to worry about that. They already made their Garrett Wilson pick. All right. I liked it. Woo. Got to crunch the numbers. That was a good episode. We'll drop. Got to watch the tape in here and there throughout the off season. It'll be interesting during free agency. We'll probably do something leading into the draft, right? With some, with some draft eligible guys. We'll have Lance back on, talk about some of that. I know he did a piece about Jahan Dotson the other week. So we'll, we'll get back to some more film stuff, but for now we appreciate you guys making got to watch the tape part of your week. We'll be back with another orange or Brown talk on Friday for now for Scott Patsko. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.